Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Missio Alliance and Kairos Partnerships. Good morning, Doug. Good morning, JR. It's good to be back in this second season we have here. We've had some great episodes so far in the fall. Oh my goodness. Uh, I, I think we could probably just retire after this season so far. <laughs> these have been really, really good ones. They really have. We've been taking lots of notes as we've interviewed uh, these different pastors. Um, you know, one of the things we always talk about is making sure we're staying sharp and healthy. And one of those ways is to stay intellectually sharp. And you and I enjoy reading. So I think it's just good for us occasionally to ask each other, what are you reading that I think would be good to share with our listeners? So uh, let's talk a little bit about what are we reading these days that we're finding interesting, whether they're like fiction where we just need a break or a ministry book that's been really helpful for us. But what are you reading lately that is particularly interesting or stimulating some new thoughts for you? Yeah, great question. Uh, I'm actually right now reading the book Essentialism. And uh, yeah, one of the things that I've actually done this year is each month I have picked three books to read and one's theology, one's leadership, and one's just fun. And so I've really enjoyed that balance. So right Very now cool. I'm in the leadership uh, wing reading essentialism. And yeah, I, I think it's just this really good reminder about instead of having, a, I think especially as pastors, we feel this pressure to be good at all these different things or to be focused on all these different things. But how do we how do we narrow down and, and just stick with the most important thing that, that we can do really, really well? No, that's so, great. It is kind of a different book reading it from the lens of pastoral ministry, but it's been it's really helped me think through some things. So I've I've appreciated that. How about yourself? Well, it's funny you say about narrowing things down because I've recently made a commitment that the next five years I'm really going to read in just five streams, five hmm. main topics. I don't think you and I have even talked about this, no. and I don't have to expound upon it here fully. But um, so one of those streams is you and I were talking about this earlier: the idea of meekness. What is meekness? And just like just really spending time going deep on that. So I've read two books on an ancient figure uh, in history by the name of Cincinnatus. And uh, Cincinnatus, uh, of course, the the uh, city of Cincinnati is indirectly named after Cincinnatus, but he was in 500 uh, BC. And um, amazing guy. He was this farmer and uh, he lived out um, on a small plot of land with his wife, Rosilla, and um, right outside of Rome. And ro the Roman army was attacked and socked in, surprise attack by some area vandals. And uh, they knew that if they were overwhelmed, then they'd come and overthrow Rome as well. And so someone kind of rushed out to the farm uh, to talk to Cincinnati and said, we need your help. So he got all the other farmers, kind of ragtag group of men and boys together, rallied them to go fight. So convincing them to go fight these like soldiers who have overwhelmed the Roman army. So like legit uh, warriors that they're going up against. And then they miraculously like beat them, pushed them back. And uh, so when they got back to Rome, pretty much they paraded uh, Cincinnati around as a hero and basically gave him, we want to make you the king of Rome. I mean, who wouldn't want that, right? And yet he said, no thanks. And so it just... Uh, yeah, reading these two biographies of Cincinnati, this one by Michael Hilliard was incredibly uh, riveting. But just reading about this guy, um, I didn't know much about him. Obviously, I know the city of Cincinnati, but I never heard of Cincinnati or what he did. But unbelievable meekness. This He's handed to become the king of Rome, and he says, no thanks, and just returns to, to Rosilla and this little four-acre plot of land and tills it and then dies in obscurity. And uh, 
And he lived in poverty, like contented poverty the rest of his days. And I just thought, my goodness. So that's why I wanted to kind of read up on Cincinnatus. But it's really, uh, they call George Washington, because he did similar things with our country, the Cincinnatus of the West. So huh. uh, just, and that was his hero, and he kind of revered Cincinnatus as well. So anyway, so that's what I'm reading. It's kind of long-winded, but um, I'm loving reading about Cincinnatus. That's and, really uh, cool. Very inspiring story. So Yeah. Well, I, I think I, I wonder where Cincinnati chili comes from in the story. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's too long to explain, but long. there was a society of Cincinnatus after the spirit of Cincinnatus, the person, and it was uh, Cincinnati was actually the first American city started after the Revolutionary War complete. It was completed, and which I know, like I just found this out recently. It's fascinating, and they did it as a way of honoring the spirit of Washington. Wow. The Society of Cincinnati. So he wasn't it wasn't directly named after right. the man Cincinnatus, but indirectly through his spirit and courage and bravery and sort of honor. Uh, but the society uh named it the Society of Cincinnati, uh called it Cincinnati. Wow. So there you go for all you Ohioans. You're welcome. <laughs> it's like Ohio just gets like another check other than Ohio State football. <laughs> Which we don't mention here. We don't. We're a yeah. Michigan family. Ooh, ooh. Yeah. Well, and as I guess as Penn State fans, we can't like Ohio State either. Nope. But, uh, nope. Anyways. Nope. <laughs> Does anyone else like Ohio State or just people who live in Ohio? I'm, I'm not even going to talk about Ohio State. I you got a Michigan flag, a Michigan f- football helmet on my desk behind your shoulder here. So we're not even going to talk about okay, that okay. university down south right now. So but I'll tell you what, though, Jr. I really appreciate the the intentionality. I'd love to. What are the other streams? So you said five streams. Yeah. So um, I don't know if I'm going to leak it all out, but okay. uh, well, a big one. Most of my reading right now is in the area of how do people grow and learn. So if it's about what we're doing is life change and life transformation, and a lot of what I do is training and equipping. Why do some people want to grow and learn and others don't? So some of it's learning about motivation, how to be a better effective teacher. Um, Just people want to learn, like, how do they best do it? How do you retain information? So I'm reading all sorts of books, um, probably about 20 books right now of just from academic higher ed stuff to Christian spiritual formation uh, stuff to Daniel Pink's book on Drive called Drive. Um, I I reread that uh, this week. So that's one of the big ones right now. So of the five, that's kind of where I'm devoting a lot of my time and attention in addition to, to meekness, but We'll tease out the we'll other tease three, out the other ones. maybe on some future episodes. Stay tuned. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. No, I. But again, I I appreciate, and I'm looking forward to the conversation we can have as this meekness mm. uh, concept grows more yeah. in you. Just, I mean, I, we had a great conversation about that earlier. Yeah, we did. Before we had a chance to. Yeah, that would be good to, to talk start. about here at some point. Yeah, we'll I think it'd be really it, helpful. Kind of uh, pickle a little yeah. bit further. Yeah. Uh, in this, but uh, yeah. guest is Dr. Jason Swan Clark. Jason co-leads the church he and his wife Bev planted in 1997 in the south of London. He is also a regional leader overseeing the development and planting of churches for the Vineyard Tribe in the UK. Jason calls himself an accidental academic and holds a demon in theology and leadership and a PhD in theology. Jason also leads the leadership and global perspective doctor of ministry degree for Portland Seminary. We appreciate his balance of both global and local and academics and experience that he brings to the table. And lastly, 
This man is solely responsible for the direction of my dissertation work at Portland Seminary, thanks to an amazing conversation that we had at a pub after class one day. We're glad to welcome our friend, Dr. Jason Clark. Jason, thank you so much for joining us uh, for the Monday Morning Pastor podcast. It's really good to, we get to see your face, but it's good to just spend some time with you today. Right. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be here. So tell, uh, we have a lot of listeners and uh, you're our first friend uh, who's a pastor from across the pond. And so tell us a bit of your story and, and how you got involved in ministry and yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm in the South side of London, lived in Southeast of England most of my life. I'm part of the Association of Vineyard Churches, um, which started in the US um, and got planted into the UK. And that's that's the bigger backstory for me for my first contact with the US. So I just turned 50 and I've been traveling to the States for a good 25 years or so um, through Vineyard Church things and then other stuff with academic work and to do with church. So I had never been to church until I was 17. Uh, went along one day, became a Christian, quite a dramatic conversion experience. Um, did what we call in the UK a gap year. I, I picked up pretty quickly a call to pastoral ministry. Um, I thought um, I wanted to be a youth pastor. I was, I was in a Baptist church and Baptist churches in the UK are very different than like Southern Baptist churches. Um, more like American. Yeah. I'm trying to, trying to think of some Baptist streams. It'll be a bit more like us. Good congregational. It was a great place to become a Christian. Mm. And I thought, well, I've got to be a youth pastor. Here was the system. You become a youth pastor. Then, then someone quits in the church that they're in and the youth pastor gets promoted to assistant pastor and then the senior pastor dies or retires and the assistant pastor becomes the lead, you know, that kind of thing. Or maybe someone, I mean, it's pertinent to this topic, you, you Christian for a, you know, a nanosecond, you realize, or maybe the senior pastor has an affair or blows up and then you get promoted. So <laughs> even then, all those years ago, it didn't take long to realize that uh, the stress of pastoral ministry. But uh, the Lord intervened and I didn't end up um, becoming a Baptist pastor. Instead, came across, uh, went to London School of Theology, met my wife and was involved with this crazy thing called Vineyard Churches, Charismatic Evangelical Church, and have been in that since I was 19. So 30 some years um the call to pastoral ministry migrated into a sense of a call to church planting and in actual fact it took a good 10 years i ended up being bivocational so i commuted three hours a day mostly in london i had a job as a uh, investment broker and advisor which was great paid off uh, student debts was able to buy a house um and ended up church planting after 10 years of like accidental business world experience um and yeah my wife and i planted a church when we were in our late 20s i was bivocational for the first few years and have been a, i am still the pastor of that church uh that we planted 22 years ago and i've had that calling to pastoral ministry tested renewed nearly broken many times <laughs> <laughs> yeah and we want to get into that a little bit more here in a little bit, but you also do some work with Portland Seminary. We were talking about that before uh, we got on here, but tell us about your work with Portland, your involvement there, and 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 what you do there. Yeah, so for Portland Seminary, I lead a, a Doctor of Ministry program. It's called the Leadership and Global Perspectives. So I did my Doctor of Ministry back there, 2003 to 2006. It was absolutely amazing seminary. 
it was a god thing how I ended up there. Changed changed my life. Um, I, I became an accidental academic. Went on to get a PhD and. Um, and, uh, th- I mean, this whole discussion that's been going on really intensely, I mean, it's sort of, there's been a lull recently, but it's resurfacing on, you know, emerging church and context and stuff. It's pretty big 20 years ago. So I was a much younger man and on the, on, on the edge of that with all the angst that went with it and the nature of church and especially pastoral ministry. So, um, at some point the guys at Fox, um, sorry, it was, uh, George Fox Seminary now, Portland <laughs> Seminary. I got even I struggled to get the name right. Um, a, you know, contacted me and said, "Look, we we want a third program, and we'd like to have an international program." And I guess you know, I think I was one of the few international students, you know, who'd ever flown there. So <laughs> I was from the UK. Uh, I had a terminal degree, um, and just because of I'd been around long enough as about 40, um, knew all these people around the world. So the program, they gave me a blank piece of paper and the program evolved from there. So the coolest thing in the world is um, you live long enough. Some of your friends get to be in cool places. So (laughs) one of my best friends in the world is now the Dean of Laidlaw College, the biggest theological college in New Zealand. So getting him to teach my, my students for Fox as students travel the world. Whereas 20 years ago, he and I met online uh, which always sounds suspicious, doesn't it? But we, <laughs> he was a computer programmer and we were blogging together. And, you know, it's just, so I, I'm just along for the ride. I just keep introducing everyone to these amazing people I know around the world. And it's been one of the most enjoyable things in my life. Um, the place, the program and the students, like, you know, you guys, uh, just amazing, absolutely amazing people. Every time new students come along, it's a, it's a privilege to do it. So that's, that's a bit about the program. That yeah. yeah, no. And, and just so the listeners know, uh, you know, I, I had Jason as a professor and it was great. I remember we, we went to a, we went to a tavern, uh, I don't know, like after class one day and we were, everyone was sharing their dissertation ideas. And I like, being a smart aleck, I was like, oh, I'm going to... One of the weirdest yeah. topics <laughs> I've ever come across. And I'm as a bit, you know, sitting there like... Yeah, I was like... Man. I was like, yeah, I'm going to, I was going to write, I'm going to write on zombies and you know, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden he's like, that's a great idea. You should totally do that. I was just kidding around. And, uh, so then he introduced me to his, uh, friend in New Zealand and yeah. And you know, I'm almost done. So that's, that's good. But yeah, thanks for that. I appreciate it. I was, you know, never thought I'd be reading about zombies and all kinds of different weird stuff over the last few years, but, uh, I blame you. I mean, thank you. <laughs> and I'm glad I knew someone that could offer you some yes. <laughs> zombies on the Christian thing. Yeah. It's good stuff. Mutual formation. Yeah. Well, Jason, you, um, you are helping equip pastors and what you're doing, but you're, I love that you're still a practitioner. And so we want to, we want to talk about, you know, what are you seeing across you know, the continents on this in terms of, of pastors and pastoral ministry and the, the effects it has good and bad. But I want you to reflect for just a few minutes as a practitioner, what keeps you in this? Because you being a long-term church planner is very rare. How have you not burned out? How have you not stressed out? Um, how are you still in the game being somewhat healthy here after all these years of planting a church? So say, yeah, uh, just turned. 50 so 22 years years since we started the church we're in i mean we just had a sabbatical uh my wife and i 
we get one every seven years, which was uh, which was great. And we spent most of it catching up with friends in ministry around the world. And they were, and, and we did two things actually with all those friends. The first one is you ran through a list of everyone that you knew had just, you know, burnt out, blown up. I mean, you know, uh, just the usual things. You're like, did you hear so-and-so got divorced? You're like, no way. How did that happen? Didn't see that coming. Um, and, uh, you know, and a really, really good friend of mine, um, if he's listening, I'll probably guess I'm referencing him. He had his sabbatical just before me in a different denomination and, you know, and has quit. Um, after 30 years in ministry, just, you know, just too much. And he's one of the most gifted pastors I've, I've ever known and inspired me as a pastor. So just uh, anecdotally all the way, if I think all the way back to, I mean, in my old seminary, they put photos up of every year and it's quite depressing if I'm ever back there to look at the photos and talk to some if there's anyone who's got a, a collective history for the place and go and you run through, you know, we went there and thinking we were all going to change the world and go into ministry. And now there's a whole bunch that aren't even Christians anymore. You know, people that are nowhere near church, let alone pastoral ministry. And the, the attrition rate is that that's just anecdotally from my friends and peers. Um, and then what I get to see, I'm a, uh, say not just the pastor in my church, but my wife and I are on our sort of national leadership team. And, uh, we get to assess church planters and see the stats on churches growing and not growing and what happened. You hear all of the stories and get involved in the pastoral stuff. So again, got a, a lot of long history, seeing a lot of people go through a lot of things, uh, in our denomination. And then because of the stuff with George Fox, you know, pick up, a a lot more people that um, you connect with. So it's uh, it's pretty, in some ways, pretty grim. Um, you know, sometimes my wife and I think, are we going to be the next part of the next statistic? Uh, we've had some some times when we thought we are not sure we could continue in this. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's a brief overview. Definitely seeing the problem. I mean, you guys know you're doing this podcast. You know the, the stats. They're horrific on the people who burn out in uh, in ministry um, and people who quit. Um, and uh, we need to, yeah, I mean, there's all the reasons for that. And I guess that's what you're doing and what we can talk about today, but we certainly see some of that. So I've wondered so far from your question. No, you haven't wandered that far from the question. Yeah, no, you're no, good. this is great. But, but also yeah. curious. It but, is by great. the way, you guys okay? We're doing this in English today. Is that is that okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're doing great. You're doing great. <laughs> Real, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. So if it's so grim, yeah. How are you keeping hope? Yeah, I mean, so I mean, never mind what you see with friends. I mean, some of the reasons that we've noticed. Uh, there would be things like there is just the nature of pastoral ministry for everyone. And we, we're on the receiving end of that um, conflicts in particular, you know, living in a goldfish bowl, uh, the way people treat you uh, pressures of life on your family. Um, and then there are, you know, issues of polity. If you're in a denomination, you've got all church politics that go with that. Even if you're independent, you've got all the politics that go with that. I mean, it doesn't matter where you are. Church politics is church politics. You, you, you get support in some places and you get trouble in some places. There are those things to navigate. Um, then there's all the issues of, you know, like success and failure and hopes and aspirations. And I think that is, that's a big, they're all big. 
but I think conflicts in church and success and failure linked to identity. And then you've got everyone else goes through midlife, pastors get to midlife. They just, it's like a crucible of, I mean, here's one of the things I think about, I say to people at pastoral ministry, I say, you know all the crap that you go through? Well, imagine being in a community where you're going through everybody else's stuff. Mm. It just amplifies yours. I have um, a friend who's a, he's a therapist for a a local government agency. um, And he has to deal with some of the worst abuse that takes place in terms of interventions into families. In his work, he is sent every month to like a world-class clinical psychiatrist because they say you can't get that close to the struggles of people's lives and not be affected. So and anyway, I remember meeting with him and he said, pastors, as far as I can see, have much worse in terms of volume and things they deal with. And yet they're expected to carry on with the rest of their lives. I mean, it's just this melting pot. And I had a, another job previously that had different stresses with commuting. and But, you know, it, you went to work and you came home and there's just this thing about pastoral ministry that is just... Or it is so, it's the privilege, it's all encompassing. It is a way of life, Mm. but that ultimately is what gets you because it is this overwhelming way of life. That's broadly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, as I think about that, a lot of our pastors are probably listening, shaking their head. Yes, yes, I totally hear you. I totally feel that. And some of them are probably thinking, wow, you've just pegged it for me. So like, how, how would you want to encourage them? Like, what does it look like to stay in it for 22 years? And like, what practices or what ideas or what, what things keep you he- healthy and happy and whole? Maybe not happy, joyful and whole. <laughs> yeah, well, these are, um, these are easy for me to list because they've been forged in the crucible of nearly giving up many times mm. over the years. I mean, when my kids were really young, there's... um there was a nursery they went to and it was a Christian nursery, which is unusual where I live. And above the door, it said, God has no plan B. And I remember walking in on one day where I decided this, this is it. I'm done. I'm handing in my notice and, and saw that sign. And it was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, so here in no particular order, but some of the things that I have had to navigate and my wife and, and I've noticed with friends, um, <sighs> Accountable relationships. I mean, like deep relationships with people where you can process the worst things. Mm. One of the challenges about pastoral ministry is it brings out the worst in you. It's impossible not to. Now, if being a pastor is helping people go to the cross and die to themselves, you are surrounded by all the things that people need to die to and find new life in. It it brings out your, as spiritual, they say in spiritual formation, your shadow side. And yet I think a lot of pastors feel I can't things like I can't be depressed, I can't be struggling, I can't um, have this kind of sin on, in my life, all these thought patterns or behaviors, and they just soldier on. And you've got to find someone you can go to who says that is normal. Firstly, it's normal because of the stress you're under. Secondly, you're in this, I use this word amplified before, you're just amplifying everything that's around you. I mean, never mind spiritual attack and spiritually what the enemy does in those domains. So you've got them physiologically, psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, life stage as well. You're in this melting pot. Um, So someone to go to. 
to process it that you can trust where you because otherwise you know what happens people share stuff when it's far too late and mm. you know um and uh, i mean i think actually i'm convinced a friend uh, um who wrote about this a lot of what pastors do is self-harm um they have an affair because it's the eject it's the way to hit the ejection seat they do something stupid because it's just it's less painful in some ways than trying to deal with all the stuff that accumulate. And it really does accumulate. It piles up and it piles up, you know, and you know, the metaphor, the frog in the kettle, you feel like, Oh, it's okay. And maybe tomorrow. And then sometimes things with God are good and you're a bit back on track, but this stuff could be building up and building up and you, you can't see it. So having someone to help them see it, because if you've got someone you see regularly and talk with and trust, hopefully what they're doing is they're, they're they're able to see things in a way that you can't and say, you, you cannot keep on going on like this. Someone who'll say, this this is unsustainable, either your pace of life or the conflicts or the pain. So that's one of them. Uh, that's a key one for me. Um, uh, dealing, getting healing uh, ministry. I mean, it's... Mm. I mean, some of these things just sound blindingly obvious, but I've already used the motif and the idea that as a pastor, you're supposed to be helping people go to the cross and die to themselves. So your regular discipline as a pastor should be dying to yourself in a way that you lead the church in. And I think most, again, most pastors are supposed to be seen as sort of triumphalistic or on top of the world instead of, you know, facing death daily. And again, that's where a spiritual director, I've got one, he, he's invaluable. It's like, where is that shadow side? Where is the bit of me? I'm 50 years old. Have I not sorted this out in my life yet? <laughs> you know, you've got to do that work. And then there's therapy and psychiatrists. Those are helpful. Um, a network of friends. I mean, my wife and I sit down every term. I'm, we make sure we have these things in our diary regularly. I go and see the people I'm accountable to. Um, I see a therapist you know, if I need to, just for check-ins, even if I'm doing it okay, a spiritual director to process stuff. And the other one is friends, because um, that can get crowded out of the admiry. And we sit down and we we plan out our, each term, each semester, and we go, right, which key friends are we seeing? And we find if we do that and time with each other, those are sort of the, I don't know, the picture, like, uh, boys buoys i think you call them you know that you can navigate through the choppy waters mm. and not drown <laughs> you know they, they keep you going um so those are some of the key things keep us going the, do you know the big one that all those things lead to is one key thing i think and it's calling it's what gets people into pastoral ministry and if you've got those people who can help you get to the cross and rediscover an experience of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You can face anything. Mm. We know that. It's just the strange thing happens in pastoral ministry. There's things that you were willing to die for when you go into pastoral ministry, and you do. People sacrifice jobs, money, I mean, enormous things, say goodbye to friends, and they thrive. I mean, they come alive to the Holy Spirit. But then suddenly similar things happen in ministry, and they kill you. <sighs> You've got to transform them. And I think those things are ways that you get to bring them to the cross. Friends bring them to the cross. Therapists bring them to the cross. Spiritual director brings you to the cross.
me of something that Spurgeon said, where he said, if you can do anything else except ministry, go do that. But if the if you can't not do ministry, do ministry. <laughs> Back to calling, right? If you can be a doctor, go be a doctor. You could be a salesman, go be a salesman. But my goodness, if if you can't not be a pastor, you'd be a pastor. And that's that sounds like what you're saying there with calling. So um, you mentioned dying to self, and I want to I want to make sure that you tease this out a little bit of knowing the theological term and the call to die to ourselves, while at the same time, how do we do self-care? So where's that balance? Because I, I know that we, Doug and I have heard a lot of pastors say, well, I need to die to myself. And to them, it's their excuse and their warped view of thinking, well, I just don't need to have time with friends because I die to self. I don't need to take a sabbatical, right? So so it's a fine line. So help us like tease out a little bit how you do that self-care thing with dying to self. That's a good, that's a good question. Yeah, because it's not, I mean, that's the that's not a dying to self at all. That's a dysfunctional self that has no <laughs> self and, and uses the excuse of sacrificing themselves on the altar of ministry. Yeah. Uh, that's wrong. Or, you know, the real, the real self is it's the self in you that is getting in the way of, of who you need to become. Or let me phrase it this way. I, I was talking to another pastor friend recently saying out of all the decades you've been doing church and being a pastor, he said, if you could share one thing, if you could distill things down to one thing, what would it be for surviving, thriving? And I said, for me, the one thing is this. You you think it's about leadership books. If I go on another course, I'll find a way to do this. If I haven't, if I have more time, I mean, you, you can think of all the things, but there is one thing, and that's if you work on the thing that Jesus is wanting to do in you now, that you need to grow in the most. That is the best that you can do. That can unlock the worst situations you are in. Mm. Um, and some people, it's amazing. You've seen this. Some people burn out in church situations that you give your left leg for. You're like, seriously, you've got hundreds of people and money and success and their life falls apart. And then there are other pastors who are in struggling situations with abusive polity and other stuff who thrive because they're getting their act together with Jesus. You, you, you see that dynamic. So, um, so yeah, it's not. So the dying to self thing is is a is it one of the first things about dying to self, and not the first thing, a key thing is we are often so in denial and deluded about who we are and our identity. Mm. Um, I mean, that's the first thing is coming out of denial. Um, about who we are. And I, so again, spiritual formation is helpful for this. You know, I think the Richard Raw thing's right. You make a way of life and it's like this container that you build and God comes along and he says, right, I need to break this thing now. Um, and that's where you need good friends around you. Say this is another, and this is where I've relied on other pastors. Oh, let me land this on a story. So that my oldest friend is the youth pastor that led me to Christ. And he's in his mid 50s. Um, and I realize I, if I am, if I don't see him regularly, he knows something's wrong or there will be something wrong, um, and make the effort to see him. And I disclosed to him things about my thought life and personal life and struggles that I would never share with anybody in the world apart from Jesus himself. And he accepts me and loves me and he prays with me and 
takes me to the cross. And I said to him about, I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe longer, I said, I've realized your advice to me is the same every single time I see you. <laughs> Fascinating. How painful is this? How far does that pain go? Let's take that to Jesus together. I mean, that, that's crudely what it, what it is. And that's, that's the business, the pain transformation. So I find with other pastors, if we, if we can get to a place of them being honest and opening up their pain at the deepest level that happens and knowing that they're accepted and they're loved and go, now, how do we take, how, what does it look like? And it's different for different people to take that to Jesus, to discover death and resurrection. Um, that's, that's a lot. That's something very different. Then the, I don't. I've sacrificed my friends for uh, <laughs> for ministry. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Fleshing out a bit. Yeah. I'm, I could give you an example in my own life because um, you you know land is. I'm just thinking of people listening to this. So I have you know I'm 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 a child from an abandoned background and family and home and you know that brings great things into my life in terms of I've got empathy and sympathy and can process pain well and stuff. But it means a very, it took me a long while to realize that at a very deep level, my greatest worry is that people will leave me because I'm not good enough. And then I act out in certain ways. Um, and until I was willing to listen to my wife and friends who would say, you are behaving in ways that push people away. That was really painful because mm. it's the very thing I didn't want to be. And I mean, that's that's the place where you're like, how do I deal with this? I saw my spiritual director. I got some therapy. I, you know, beat myself up, believe some lies that the enemy told me for a while. And, you know, it's that's that deep stuff you have to do. And I, and I kid you not, every time I've gone to to Jesus and said, all right, Lord, this doesn't diminish me to consider this. Because the temptation is my life, usually those moments appear at the time when you're in the crucible of ministry and you just feel like quitting. Because that's the way this works. We know that scripture tells us in that fire, things come to the surface. You go, things are bad enough as it is. Have I got to deal with that as well? (laughs) The answer is yes, because if you deal with that, it transforms everything else. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm. Yes. Mm. Yeah. It, I mean, and I think even realizing that that, that journey of, of, you know, pastoral ministry is this call to come to die. But even in the midst of that, the beauty is that God is at work in our lives too. We don't just, we don't just, we're not just passive participant, you know, participating in the way that God's working in everyone else's life. But when we recognize the work of the spirit in our life too, there's just this wholeness that takes place in that. And there's this way of, I, I think there's, it's like God loves us enough that he's excited about who we're becoming as much as we get excited about who others are becoming. And I think for for many years, I sense, um, I, I know for me, that was really hard. It's like, I could always look at the love of Christ in other people's lives, but it was hard for me to see it in my own life and soul. And, and it wasn't until... Yeah, it wasn't actually. It wasn't until just you know moments like being being at Fox and listen, you know, sitting down with a with a therapist or with a spiritual director or with a close friend of recognizing like something deep is happening here, and um, you know, 
uh, I'm not sure what that is. And so I, you know, and I think that's really why a lot of what we do in this, in this podcast is just saying like, yeah, when we have those things, like we, we come back to, you know, it's, it's the simple things of, yeah, like, like who are the people you're spending time with that you're just bearing your soul with, you know, where are the, where are the friendships that you have? Um, you know, and then one of the questions that we ask everyone is like, what does your Monday morning look like? Because for us, you know, Sunday is great. You know, maybe you, you finish preaching, you go home, you know, you have a pint, you fall asleep for an hour, and then you go through the next day of kind of like rebuilding your life after this, you know, giving of preaching and teaching. So yeah. What, what does your Monday look like? I mean, is it, do you, yeah. What is that process for you? Do you just come out of Sunday preaching and you're ready to go? Or is there kind of a death, burial and resurrection that happens and what practices have been helpful? Do you know, I mean, I find Sundays absolutely exhausting. <laughs> I hate to break it to you, Jason. Everybody just about on this podcast says the same thing. <laughs> and, um, I'm, I love, absolutely love people, which is just as well being a pastor. Um, but I'm, I'm highly introverted. And from the moment, I mean, I'm getting up on a Sunday morning. I mean, we've got a preaching team in our church now, which is great. But I make sure... I try to make sure on a Sunday morning, even if I'm not preaching, that I don't fill that space with admin or because that doesn't put you in a good space to greet people in the worship service. And I, from the moment I get to church, I know that just a look or a touch or a smile or asking someone about their kid or their relative who's dying or, you know, as, as long as I can, that keeps me grounded. Um, this is the Sunday before the Monday. This is the preparation. And when I leave, wh- however many people have turned up, whatever went wrong, because <laughs> there's always stuff. You know, I think if if I've been engaged in people's lives and spoken to them or touched them or addressed, you know, pray for people as much as I can and we'll pause. I mean, I'm a charismatic evangelical, so someone tells me something, we go, let's pray about that and just pray for them right there and then and uh, share, share words and pictures, do that. And then there's the service itself and praying for people. And then afterwards there's the saying goodbye to people. And, you know, so I get to the end of that and I'm pretty tired. And then we have, you know, often we'll have things in the afternoon, my wife and I, cause it's a good time for other people, leaders, new things or pastoral care things and stuff. The one thing that we stopped doing, we used to have Sunday night meetings and realized that that just tipped me over the edge. I just like I realized I was no good to anyone else at that point. So by and large, try to avoid anything on a Sunday night. And that is when, you know, we get like a favorite takeaway, some kebabs, good a good a good IPA beer or something, watch mm. a TV program and stuff. Mm. So Sundays is pretty full on. Everyone knows that is listening. If you're a pastor and tiring and you've got your identity and the roller coaster of it, I, it doesn't matter what anyone says, that all happens. And then Monday. So my Mondays, I'm a pretty planned guy. I know my week. I have my meetings. I plan my week, you know, the, the week before. So I know what's happening on a Monday. But yeah, Monday is probably the hardest day. I wake up tireder. I wake up with having suffered from depression. If Even if I'm not suffering from depression, that will be the place where I'll feel the draw towards that. All the disappointment and the things in the previous day come up. That's the place where if the enemy has a go at you, he comes and whispers and says, you know, why do you bother? And stuff like that. Monday is, is tough. So... 
uh, I find it the hardest day, but I have a routine. I get up, I do my reading and writing and prayer in the morning. I have staff meetings in the morning, uh, meet with key people in the day, uh, teach for George Fox online in the afternoon, and then often have a, a business meeting on the Monday. So I'm pretty busy on a Monday in a structured way, which is probably good because it stops me. I'm the kind of, everyone's got different personalities. It stops me being too maudlin. Um, mm. So that's my day uh on a monday mm. yeah that I've, sounds- tried, I've tried the whole having a monday off that's the worst day to take <laughs> yeah you want to feel suicidal that <laughs> kind of personality then just you, i guess i'm saying i keep mondays i meant to say to other pastors why would you take a monday <laughs> you're like, you're, it's like going on holiday at the worst time (laughs) do as many things that are brain free that you know on the monday that you get through i take wednesday as my main day off because Mm. by about then i've decompressed from stuff and i'm ready to actually have a day off but Mm. sorry i interrupted no no i well i think there's a lot of wisdom there because you know part of all this stuff is figuring out who you are and and how those things work and how your rhythms work i mean i know for me too i couldn't take off a monday i'm friday's my day my sabbath and monday is my day to just it's like just get crap done day i mean it is wonderful uh the only the only meetings i have are with people who are uh either on in in print uh alive or in print dead and it's it's just a great opportunity and i you know plan out weeks and get stuff done and and i've just found that staying busy on that day is really really helpful for me too so yeah i i resonate with that have you um, ever taken a monday off after a sunday uh no, i you know what i have i want to say there was like one time i did it wasn't it wasn't good i mean it it was not good i i mean i I, I felt like I was sitting around um, that we have these commercials here in the U S of like, you know, any kind of uh, it's like some Sarah McLaughlin song in the arms of the angels and everyone's crying. And like, it just, that's just what it felt like all day. I mean, I felt like this is not a, it's not a healthy space for me to be in not a happy place. Yeah. It wasn't happy. Not at all. Um, but anyways, yeah, just a couple more questions. Um, I would love to just hear just for uh, just a few moments, uh, you know, you have a podcast and you've been kind of starting to, to, to talk about different things and like, how can we, you know, tell us about your podcast, but also how are ways people can connect with you slash find you, you know, what, what things like that would be helpful. Yeah. So if people, if people want to find me, um, um, I'm, I've got a new, uh, new website and just google jason swan clark swan swan is a middle name family name um and that will pull up the, the website and everything's on there um there is only one jason swan clark dot comes up so and that will give you articles that i'm writing and links to podcasts and and other stuff um so that's the key place i'm putting all my stuff now i'm using that website actually for uh, there's, there's a lot of projects i'm involved in um for theological training for my church movement uh, internationally, an online theological school that is going live soon with a friend that I'm putting on, and all that stuff will be there. But my, my greatest passion is um, it's a book I'm trying to – it's a book I'm writing, and I'm putting online some long-form articles that are some of the material that – it won't be as is, but it's background work for what will be some of the chapters. And the, the premise – for that is it's a kind of spiritual formation for pastors um the working title 
is Brixton straw from, you know, the metaphor of um, uh, the Israelites were having to make Jewish people had to make more bricks with less straw. And that's the metaphor for pastoral ministry, that the longer you're in it, it can feel like every year you have to do more and more with less and less. People expect more and more, but they will give you less and less. Um, and that's how it can start to feel. And then the subtitle for the working title is how to, f- how to find hope before you run out of calling. And, you know, the idea that we go, as I said, people go into ministry. I've been there and seen them. Well, I've got to go anywhere. I do anything. And they make huge sacrifices for this calling. But then certain things happen over time that innovate you and destroy your calling until it runs out, you know, and and it's not there. And so some of the chapters, um, I've done one on mental health. Um, uh, I'm working on a chapter at the minute will be the next article on the tension between doing and being. Why do we, you know, the, the tendency to end up always doing things instead of being, and these articles, by the way, they're, they're not academic articles and they're not how to articles. They're more meditations and reflections for spiritual formation. Um, another one I'm working on will be about conflict what conflict does to us, the toll it takes on us and how to process it. Um, I've already done an article on there about success and measuring, a uh, spirituality of measuring. So I guess they're, they're going, you could say there'd be chapters of spirituality of measuring success, a spirituality of conflict, uh, spirituality of doing and being. It's that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, and so far... Um, been encouraging people interacting with that and picking up on it um especially the mental health one that was pretty pertinent um i've had a few messages from people i know um the guy uh, who was the pastor his name slipped my mind just committed suicide recently yeah jared wilson yeah um and i wrote that article a few weeks before that and i've had a few people contact me saying i'm just reading this in light of uh you know jared taking his own life and uh yeah, so that's where I am, and those are the that's a particular focus I've got and I'm working on. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jason. I, I feel like there's so much to unpack uh, from this conversation that we had a great opportunity to have. Um, and yeah, we'll definitely uh, keep in touch. I really appreciate just the way that you're looking at life in terms of as someone who just turned 50. T- to looking at life in terms of how do we create this new culture of pastors that stay healthy and in it for the long haul. And I love that picture of what happens when calling runs out and realizing like we have to continue to stoke the flame um, and continue to spend time with the Lord and with people um, that are around us. So, yeah. So just Can I tell you a story to close. Yes, please. Just to illustrate this. So my wife and I were, um, so this is a few years back, and I put this in one of the articles I wrote online. It was pretty traumatic. Both my parents had committed suicide six months apart from each other, and they were estranged from each other for 20 years, and that was an intense time. And we were going through, we've got a special needs daughter, and church was had some things and budget cuts and pressures and, you know, all those, and some big conflicts, and it was just utterly unbearable. Um, and we had signed up to go to some leadership event um up in oxford and we were driving on the m25 the m25 is an orbital road that goes around london um and we call it britain's biggest parking lot 
I mean, it's like, (laughs) you know, some points it's got six lanes each side and when in the Russia, it's just like, it just takes forever to get around it. Um, So we're driving on the, and it's, it's, it's big. It goes all the way around London. We were in the car and everything boiled to a head. And, and I, I bet anyone listening to this as a pastor can relate to this. So we're taking our leadership team, to this great event with all this stuff going on in our lives. We have like the biggest argument, one of the biggest <laughs> we've ever had in our lives. And my wife says, stop the car. I'm walking home. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I don't really have to stop. There's so much traffic. We're going to stop anyway. I'm like, it's <laughs> you can't walk on that, on that freeway motorway. And, I, and I'm like, you stupid woman. You can't walk. I'm arrested. She said, I want to get arrested. I'm going to tell the police all about you and they'll take you home. <laughs> that's it it was one of those moments you're just like if anyone videoed this they'd be like oh great great pastors that we were and we came up <laughs> together and we realized we were so at the end of ourselves so we you know you pull into this event we get there we're not talking to each other and you know and you're like how am i going to engage in this but this is the power of vision and calling we had to go through an exercise with a flip chart pad uh, the team had to go off somewhere else, and we were on our own. And, and the guy leading it came over to us, and he said, are you two okay? My wife went, no. <laughs> <laughs> In a way that scared, he just left. And, we, and with the exercise we had to do, and I remember one of those moments inside when everything inside me was, I could walk out the door and get in a car and just disappear. I'm a failure. I can't cope with one more thing. Mm-hmm. And we've got to do this stupid exercise. This exercise was to look back at the last few years and find the best moments in ministry and what God had done. Mm-hmm. And we started to write them up. And we got a few of them up and a few of them. And then I kid you not, and it's what the Holy Spirit does. We went from exhausted to both of us crying and excited about what God had done and with mm-hmm. faith for what he could do that at the end of the exercise, the guy leading it said, what happened to you? Wow. And it was, a, you know, an intervention of God, but it rem- the, the power of vision and renewing your calling, we were like, okay, this is all worth it. We can, mm. we've had the, we take the time to see what God is doing. Oh, Lord, more. And something happened. We came home and people said, what's happened to you two? You're so full of, in a way, nothing had changed, but we changed because we'd renewed, had a renewing of our calling there. So, Wow, what a powerful story. That's great. What a great way to end too. So these these conversations always go so quickly, but Jason, thanks. Thank you so much for your willingness to join us here on the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. You're living it. And I love that you not only are helping other pastors change the narrative that you have to be burned out and exhausted and unhealthy, um, and to know that there are others across the pond too that are joining with us in trying to say and tell the story. You can be healthy and be called to ministry at the same time. And all also be talking to a practitioner at the same time. Mm, so yeah. thanks for what you're doing and your faithfulness. And we look forward to continuing conversation with you. Uh, yeah. Thanks for what you guys are doing. All yeah. strength to you and may God multiply. It's needed. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Blessings to you. Thanks, Jason. Doug, did you just hear that sound? 
What sound, JR? What was that? <laughs> that was the sound of all pastors moving their day off on a day other than Monday. <laughs> oh my well, he was really hammered on yeah. that. Why would you take yeah. Mondays Who off? Who in the world, in the right mind, all would the take pastors, I heard, click, 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 yeah. click. They're changing their Google calendars. They're changing Microsoft Outlook calendar right now. It's like, oop, not Monday. Going to go to Wednesday. Going to go to Friday. I can see it now. Like, our ratings go, like, plummet. What they call it, like, Friday afternoon pastor? <laughs> the Monday morning. The Friday afternoon pastor <laughs> podcast. Oh my gosh. So anyway, that's, uh, yeah, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. Yeah. I, I'll tell you what, he mentioned the idea of, of pastors who, who self-harm, you know, I got to get out of it. How can I get out of this? Whether it's conscious or subconscious. And he used that term self-harm. I just found that fascinating. Yeah. It's more common than I think we realize. Um, when you talk to pastors that have had affairs, like they would say, you know, like, yes, there was sexual temptation, but truthfully, it was just the opportunity to get out. And, uh, you know, you, you and I have heard the term, the common term, like shooting yourselves in the foot and uh, doing some, some uh, I, I don't know what I stumbled upon it or how I got on this, but we use that term actually incorrectly a lot because we think like we accidentally did something stupid, uh, right? Like we think of, we were talking about Plaxico Burris, the New York Giants receiver who in 2008 was in a New York City club and he like literally shot himself in the foot with his handgun in his sweatpants pocket. And uh, so not only did he get injured, but on top of that in New York, there is a no open carry law. So he went to prison uh, because of it. So here you are an NFL superstar making millions and you shoot yourself in the foot literally. And then you go to prison because you had a gun in public when you weren't allowed to have it in public. Like that is like awful, like sort of funny and just terrible at the same time. But that's like when we use that term, we think of Plaxico Burris, we, you just Plaxico yourself. But actually I think it's more in line with what Jason was talking about of actually harming yourself. Right. And in, in military term that there's actual a word for that called malingering. And so uh, when we came across that, you and I were texting back and forth, like that's spiritual malingering. And what happens is soldiers would quite literally say, I don't want to be here anymore. This is too hard. I miss my family. I've got to go home. When they say, no, you can't go home. And the only way they could think of doing it was not accidentally, but purposefully taking their gun out and shooting themselves in the foot in a non-fatal way, but would say, yeah, you're in, you're insufficient. Um, you're, you're unprepared, uh, to actually be physically prepared to, um, to, to be in battle. So therefore we do need to send you home. And so, when that happens, you can be court-martialed if they can prove that you on purpose shot yourselves in the yourself in the foot to be off the battlefield, which is just fascinating. You can actually be put to death for it. They had to be very strict about it back to the Revolutionary War um, to execute you so that others wouldn't go, hey, that's a great idea. Yeah. Let me do that too. And so anyway, I just thought of that term, you know, spiritual malingering. And I think that's what Jason's talking about, shooting so. ourselves in the foot, which is just awful. And so, um, yeah, ministry's hard. Ministry's hard. Absolutely. And, well, and, and it is difficult. And I, I wonder, you know, sometimes it's really big stuff like an affair yeah. or, I mean, I heard a story of a pastor who literally was selling drugs. Wow. And, and, and you know, a conversation that he had with someone in this church who said, I just wanted to get out. I didn't wow. know how to. Wow. And it was one of those things that like, is Like, let just, me do something big enough that they can't do anything but fire don't me. Don't keep... Yes, please make sure I get fired. Yeah. Spiritual yeah. malingering. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So the other thing that, that I thought was really helpful was just his seven practices. Yeah. Um, man, you know, accountability. And, and I appreciate that he didn't really talk about accountability in the way that, that you would think about, you know, well, let's sit down and talk about, but just that idea of having uh, someone to process life with. Yeah, that was great. That, that was, was great. really good. So yeah, he had seven accountability, healing ministry, uh, sabbatical, spiritual director, counseling, and friends. And I like how he said that him and his wife actually put it in their diary. Together. Yeah. To schedule who haven't we spent time with that we need to in this next season. That's, That's an awesome idea. You talk about intentionality. That is so cool. So good. And then uh, calling. And even the way that he talked about calling, he he had this one really interesting statement or phrase. He said, when 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 your calling runs out. And yeah. It, and yeah. I just thought that was, I, I'm still thinking about that, but there's something really fascinating about yeah, it's like you have this calling, but how do you continue to 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 water that and to to feed that and to make sure that that calling it's like that calling keeps you, but I feel like there are these times when when you get on that and I think that's when the self-harm comes in, right? When sure. it's like I can't do this anymore. It's it's just not there. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And those seven things can be great resources. You and I have talked about almost all of these. I mean, yes. he brought up healing ministry, which we could have spent another 30 minutes with him on that. And maybe we return to that, but um, as a resource this month, right? We want you to, or this week, we want you to be thinking through those areas. And we've touched on a lot of those, but just as a reminder yeah. um, of that. What would be a good question for us to sit with JR? Yeah, I think it's both a question and a resource. And it's based on um, Jason's last story. I loved that story. So powerful. Um, and um, And at the end where he talked about writing down on a flip chart as an exercise at this event where to to look back over the last several years and see what God had done and how it changed him and even the the facilitator saying what happened to you all something <laughs> changed and i we we both want to challenge you that's a question and a resource but we want to challenge you this week to sit down either by yourself or with your spouse or maybe an elder or a key leader or someone who has been with you from the beginning and to be able to process, let's look back over the last several years, and what has God done? Let's just write it all out. So we want to challenge you to do that here uh, in the next week as both a question and as a resource. Maybe we could even add to that, put that in your good things file. Yes, right? yeah. great. Yes. Oh, I love it. I love it. So, uh, well, pastors, remember that there is actually joy available in ministry. Ministry is hard. It's intense. There's difficulty. But may you always know that the joy is available. And sometimes it's a harder choice, but it's always there. And we don't have to sweat it. We don't have to worry because, good news, the tomb is still empty. So go and live in the reality that because the tomb is empty, our hope doesn't have to be. God bless and bless God. 